Hello, welcome to Rogue Grace here on the PM edition. As we get ready to open the doors for God's people to come and study His Word tonight together. 7 o'clock. But in the meantime, we also get to share His Word continually in different ways. He's been so gracious and kind. You have been so generous to allow us to do this. And I am so grateful to be a part of a ministry that has now begun or laid down a, a legacy. Because it has been, I don't know, 50 million years since church first started. And so... As time goes on, you see the big picture. You look back and you see God's faithfulness to my dad and my dad's faithfulness to God in teaching the word and preaching the word verse by verse, year by year, decade by decade. And now that I get to be a part of that as well, it's amazing amazing grace i got a note before i started here this morning um from somebody who is listening to the program via podcast during their dialysis when they're getting their treatment for their sickness and just a word of encouragement to keep preaching the gospel and the word of the Lord. And that meant a lot because even this morning I didn't feel very good. I feel a lot better now. But I was not feeling so great. And so I was able to relate to that guy and he encouraged me at that moment without even knowing it. And you have no idea the things that you go through that are able then to relate to other people because they've been through it as well. And that's the beauty and the power of Jesus coming to this earth a little lower than the angels. That is, he's superior, he's greater than the angels, but he didn't come as an angel. From what we see, angels don't die They don't have the same kind of physical needs and drives as we do as human beings. So there's not that particular conflict. And Jesus went underneath that, chose to. Still God. But he is superior to the angels, not only in his divinity, and he preceded them, but also in his mission and ministry that he chose to become like you and I. Let's consider from our text in Hebrews chapter 2, picking up where we left off this morning. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through Death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and to deliver all those 
who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Beautiful words, deep, rich in, in every way. But to consider this, that Jesus took on death so that he might be able to die for all of us. And in so doing, destroyed the power of the devil. Who, up until or apart from Jesus' death, had power over you and over me because he had the power of death. That is why he tempted Eve. That is why he wanted Adam to take of the tree. He wanted the power of death. That would be his his weapon. That would be his calling card, his go-to, death. That's why he wanted that. And he knew that by taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that his objective would be accomplished. That death would now have a way to enter in to creation and to affect God's created ones who were made in his image, that is, man. But Jesus came, made himself as a man, as we just read. He shared with us the flesh and blood that we all carry. And then, through death, destroyed the devil's ability to keep us in slavery by death. So, it's interesting that the devil did not want Jesus to actually go to the cross. He would have preferred that Jesus wasn't crucified. Because, you see, right after Jesus was baptized and was tempted by the devil in the desert... It was the devil that said, you don't need to go that route. Instead, bow down to me. I have the power to give you all of this because it belongs to me. And Jesus didn't refute that and say, no, it doesn't. You, you huckster. You liar. No. Jesus didn't respond because there's truth to that claim. Since Adam and Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they essentially took the title deed of the earth and placed it in the hands of the devil. And because it was in his hands, now he could use death to keep people, to keep humanity in bondage through fear of it, through the reality of it. And so Satan didn't want Jesus to destroy death. I don't know to the extent he knew of Jesus' capability to do so. But right after he was baptized, Satan tempts him, don't go to the cross, just bow to me. You see, he was offering him a way out. I think of the few days before Jesus died. 
And he told his disciples that it was vital for the Messiah to fulfill his mission, his prophetic work, by dying and rising from the dead. Dying on the cross, in his case, Jesus said. And Peter rebukes Jesus. And Peter says, no way, Lord. Let this be away from you. Don't let this be a part of your mission. Don't go down this road to death. Set up your kingdom now. And Jesus said to Peter, Depart from me. Get behind me, Satan, (laughs) because you desire the things not of the kingdom and not of God, but the things of the flesh. You see, Peter's statement was so congruent, was so similar to Satan's mission to keep Jesus from going to the cross that Jesus basically says that they're saying the same thing. So, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, this major clash hits its apex where Jesus prays to the Father, if there be any other way. But then he said, if there is no other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So, how this works in regards to Judas, and Jesus filling Judas, I'm not quite sure there. But as I look at the accomplishment of the cross, the temptation of Jesus after his, his desert baptism, the things that he said in regards to the cross when talking to Peter, I don't think it was Satan's wish any more than Jesus's to be nailed to a cross. But things had transpired to the point that Satan's own devices had backfired his filling of Judas had set into motion events that of course God had already pre-planned and had set into motion. And by then it was perhaps too late. Who knows the things that Satan was doing to Jesus in those final hours, either as he was being prepared to be crucified or on the cross itself. One of my great images in my mind, maybe you've seen it too, is in the last, um, in the, um, the passion of the Christ. And Jesus looks up in to the skies, into the heavens after enduring what he had and declares, it is finished. And at that moment, it goes to Satan in hell. And it shows him look up and scream. This blood-curdling, demonic, ugly scream. I think that there's a lot of accuracy to that. Here's my point as well, besides just stating the superiority of Jesus. And that would be, just as Satan didn't want Jesus to go to the cross... 
knowing that through death, Jesus would destroy death. Satan doesn't always want you, nor I, to go through our afflictions or our sufferings or our trials. If you would, he doesn't want us to pick up our crosses. Because he knows better than you or I the long-term, big-picture effect of when we submit our lives to God and through suffering and through heartache, yes, if you would, through our cross, that God is doing something greater in us than had we never gone through that or experienced that particular cross. Maybe when you look at it that way, it's not so much a victory of Satan over your life as you're experiencing your difficulty or your tragedy, your challenge, but to say, wow, God is so provincial. Uh, He's so sovereign. That maybe even these things that I'm going through where I'm hurt or suffering or it's pressure on me, that those things are God's purpose so much that maybe even Satan doesn't want me to go through those things because God knows the outcome. My friend, my dad's put it so well when he said, we're more concerned about our present comfort, but God, our father, he's focused on our eternal condition. And he knows things about both you and the other side of the grave that you don't know, but he is using these difficulties just as he did with Jesus and death to actually create something in you and through you that is of eternal merit and forever will work in you and through you what the New Testament calls glory. We'll be right back. In a time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation 
looking at the book of Hebrews here on Rogue Grace, both in the morning and then again this afternoon. And so we'll wrap up chapter two. That is, at least in our text, we might come back and look at it some more tomorrow if I miss something. But the final couple of verses, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when he was tempted, he is able also to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus is our high priest who is both Faithful and merciful. Because he became as we are, he took on the same elements of the human body that we have. So that he can be faithful and merciful. That's what the scriptures say about Jesus' ministry as the high priest. He could become faithful that is to to as we read about was it yesterday or the day before in chapter 2 that Jesus was made perfect through his sufferings he had to learn obedience to God so he had to learn if you would he had to understand what it meant to take the initiative to be faithful because he has a human body like me and you to be that faithful high priest, the one who would not fail. Yet day by day, he had to walk in God's ways in order for him to be that faithful high priest. There's so much to be said about fidelity. And I don't just mean in marriage, although that's, very true. But in anything, when, when things get difficult, 
to continue to stand your, your post to not shirk back or scrap everything and throw your hands up in the air and walk away. But I think character is deeply forged within us when we choose to continue to be faithful, even when things seem to be coming up against that. Yet even where we are not and have not been faithful, Jesus was and is. And he had to learn that. He had to grow in that because he took on a human body. But not only was he faithful, it says he was merciful. See, the same thing that caused him to be faithful, that is that he had to display, demonstrate consistency, also made him merciful, sympathetic to you and to me, because he knows what it's like to day by day seek to be faithful. Seek to walk in God's ways. It's amazing the things that you go through. And you look back and you you see that God brought you through a certain experience or a difficulty. You're then able to be merciful to other people in that same area. You're not going to be so quick to point fingers, will you? Neither will I when we ourselves have had to to, um, endure whatever the circumstances or the various difficulties may be. Because what that does is it allows us to be relatable to other people in ways that we never could have had we not had to go through that. But because we have, we can relate to them And so too, Jesus can relate to us because of what he has been through. He, he knows exactly what you're going through now. And the beauty of it is all of this is the end is not simply to have a relatable and faithful friend, but it says it, this was all for the propitiation of our sins. The word propitiation speaks of a covering. The word is translated a mercy seat in other places in Hebrews. You know what the mercy seat is? It's that lid of the Ark of the Covenant made out of solid gold that covered what was inside. What was inside? The law of Moses. So Jesus is the covering of the law where you have failed or I have failed. Jesus becomes that covering, that propitiation on our behalf because he was faithful and is merciful. The word propitiation, it speaks of receiving God's favor because Jesus took God's wrath. So that the entire law was satisfied by Jesus. And where we have broken it, he took on that sin. And he took on that that, uh, failure to keep the law. 
And so he is that great high priest. Praise his name. So this is the idea. We're already being really wonderfully um, established by the writer of Hebrews in only two chapters of how Jesus is greater. Don't fall back into Jesus plus something is what the book of Hebrews is saying. Jesus plus my devotion, Jesus plus my passion, my holiness. No, no. No, Jesus is better. Better than your devotion or your passion or your holiness. It's so true. It's it's been said. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so the writer here is keeping these Christians from adding that plus, whatever that might be. For them, it was um, going back to the law, going back up under the temple and the sacrifices. In other places with Paul, it would be circumcision, where the overall idea was, boy, we're glad you got in. Jesus made a way. But now that we got you here, and they would sharpen their knives. And so Paul had to constantly keep the gospel simple and pure. And the book of Hebrews is keeping Jesus center and is keeping Jesus as the better way than any other thing we could do or any laws that we could keep. And so it's going to continue to talk about this better way. It's what the scriptures, what Hebrews will call a new and living way. We'll be right back after this. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning and his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He saw me and bowed me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ever I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to And then I cried, dear Jesus, 
come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sound me and bound me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. Oh, about the angels singing in the old redemption story. In some sweet day I sang of there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bound me with his Welcome back. We have basically uh, finished up the first two chapters of Hebrews. And over and over, as we read through these verses, we find why Jesus is better. And the overall theme that I want to take the approach as well is that you're in, that he made the way for you to be in the Holy of Holies. He came out, as we will continue to read, he came out of the Holy of Holies to bring you into the Holy of Holies. And it's a beautiful, wonderful study as we'll be looking at in the chapters to come because we see how rich and symbolic the tabernacle and the furniture of it were and now still are to us how it all speaks to the person of our Redeemer, the person of Jesus. May he be glorified. He is the greatest. There is no one to compare for your righteousness. There is no one else. You can't find what you're looking for through anyone else beside Jesus through his finished work of the cross. You'll never find the peace, the, the satisfaction that Jesus is offering anywhere else. 
You won't find it in your own efforts, in your own work, in your own struggles. But when you find what he has to offer, that he is the greatest, he is the only, he is the best, then even in the midst of your sufferings or your challenges, you're still able to continue in that place of peace and contentment. That's what it means to be born from above. That's what it means to have new life. And Jesus is the giver of that new life. And because he was tempted like you have been tempted, he, he understands, he relates to you. And so you are able then to take the things that you're feeling and the things that you're carrying in the back of your mind or on your shoulders and bring them to Jesus with freedom and then let them go and have that peace of trusting in the Lord. How good the Lord is. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on the air tomorrow, but I want to invite you tonight to join us in the sanctuary for our study through the book of Proverbs. A time of meditation in God's word. You'll be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will never wither. Whatsoever you do shall prosper. That is God's promise. That's his blessing. As we draw from the river of his mercy and the river of his wisdom. So come join us tonight. It's something I think that even right now, the Lord is calling you to do and be a part of. That's at 7 o'clock. Looking forward to seeing you. God bless. God bless.